This episode is brought to you in part by Harvest House Publishers and the new book, The Good Gift of Weakness. Discover how human weakness not only allows God's strength to shine, but it was all by His design. The Good Gift of Weakness is now available wherever books are sold. You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. And I'm Kevin McClinathan. This is the part of the show, Wade, where usually I come up with something to joke about that ties into the film that we're reviewing later on in the episode. So I thought I might say something about puppets because those Mm. figure in pretty prominently, but I think I used that up already when we talked about Annette recently. So I don't know, I'm, I'm at a little bit of a loss unless you want me to say something about the heavy eye makeup that you're wearing right now. I'll allow you to say something about that if you're cool with me singing a special while I take up an offering. Deal. I don't even have to think about that. Uh, Take it away whenever you're ready. Actually, you know what? Maybe we'll do that at the end of the service. (laughs) Listeners. Okay, maybe later. (laughs) We are reviewing the new film from Michael Showalter, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. We're also going to be sharing a pretty big announcement later on in the episode, so make sure to listen to the end to hear that. It's going to be an episode full of big feelings and big eyelashes. That is all coming up on episode 305 of Seeing and Believing. That's it. That'd be all. They're permanently lined. Oh. And my eyes are permanently lined, and my eyebrows are permanently on, so there's not a whole lot you can do. (laughs) My goodness. I I didn't know. Have you never done pictures without those eyelashes? Nope. Nope. And I never will, because that's my trademark. And, you know, if I take that away, then it's not me. And no one's going to want to look at me without my trademark, so I hold on to that. Even if we soften them up and kept... No, you can do anything you want. But my eyelashes stay right where they are. That's really you. Mm. Well, yeah, this is who I am. (laughs) Yes, listeners, we are here with episode 305 of Seeing and Believing. We're going to be reviewing the eyes of Tammy Faye just in a bit. And Kevin, I mentioned offering. We're going to take up our own offering. No, we're going to talk about our... (laughs) Patreon campaign. We're just having a little bit of fun today on the episode. We appreciate everyone who supports our Patreon campaign. You keep the show going. And Kevin, we've got a number of different donation levels on Patreon. One of our favorites is the what can you buy for $5 level. And Kevin, I wanted to ask you what someone could hypothetically buy for five bucks. And if you If you tell me a prayer cloth, I will reach my hand through the microphone and I will, I will have to slap you. Okay. Well, I was going to say something about that, but I (laughs) think that we should, seeing as how this is a family show, we should avoid violence wherever possible. So I'll, I'll pull an audible on that one. $5 would get you a special little hutch. So you know how rabbits kind of, they dig a little hole in the ground and that's, that's where Mm -hmm. they, you know, they sleep and they, you know, they have 
they keep their babies warm and all that. So I figure something of that nature, except human-sized, of course, seems pretty cozy and like a nice thing to have for, for five bucks if you're kind of feeling like roughing it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And especially the weather's starting to cool off. Fall is on its way. And having one of those, I don't know if you would say homes, one of those primitive camping necessities, is it's going to be huge, Kevin. It's going to be huge. If you don't want either a prayer cloth or the little human-sized hutch, I don't know quite what to call it, you can support our Patreon campaign. Just hop on over to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. Kevin, we're going to jump into our review today. Director Michael Showalter has brought us a new film, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, based on the 2000 documentary by Fitton Bailey and Randy Barbado. Here's the film's official synopsis. In the 1970s, Tammy Faye Baker, played by Jessica Chastain, and her husband Jim, played by Andrew Garfield, rise from humble beginnings to create the world's largest religious broadcasting network and theme park. Tammy Faye becomes legendary for her indelible eyelashes, her idiosyncratic singing, and her eagerness to embrace people from all walks of life. However, Financial improprieties, scheming rivals, and a scandal soon threatened to topple their carefully constructed empire. Kevin, a number of people might already be familiar with this story, depending on their age and depending on which avenue of Christianity they grew up in. I did want to ask you, before watching this movie, how much did you know about the Baker saga, and did this film push you to reconsider any of your preconceived notions or ideas? Well, I I was pretty familiar with it. I, I vaguely remember them kind of being a you know the butts of jokes you know when I was growing up, but I didn't really know exactly why. Um, I actually want to give a shout out to uh, Martin Wendell Jones. He used to be a, a writer for Christ Pop Culture. He's written lots of places online, but he actually did a deep dive into the Baker saga for WashingtonExaminer.com, I believe. Um, we'll, we'll maybe like post a link to that story in the show notes so our listeners can track it down and read it for themselves. That was kind of, reading that deep dive was what provided me with the uh, the foundation of what I knew about the the real life story going into this film. So I kind of you know reread that before seeing this, and uh, you know it, it kind of helped me you know make sure that I I was familiar enough with the story that I could kind of keep an eye out for similarities and divergences. So uh, that's uh, where I was as far as the real life saga goes. I do want to say that I don't know that this this new film really does a whole lot for me in terms of making me see any of the any of the principal characters in this drama if you can call it that um any any differently I think it's a pretty standard um 
the the way that it tells the story, I guess, is pretty standard and straightforward. Um, and a lot of what it does that's interesting, I think, is actually found in the performances, specifically in Jessica Chastain's performance as Tammy Faye Baker herself. And Wade, you you know, uh, after being on the podcast for me, but for this long, you know that I'm a big Jessica Chastain fan and. You know, we'll we'll follow her pretty much anywhere, and I'm really happy to report that that faith is still, uh, you know, well founded at least as far as this movie goes. I think she's very good in this film. I don't think that the movie itself really has a whole lot to do with her performance. There's there are a few things that I think that does that are interesting, and maybe we can get into those in just a second. But I think as a whole, there are some interesting outlines of of ideas that you kind of glimpse from now and then uh in the film but it doesn't really commit to enough of them to really feel like it's it's fully fleshed out i guess there's there's a lot of half-baked stuff in this film that i was really hoping would become fully baked but i think overall it was interesting enough to to hold my attention Thanks mostly to Chastain's work, but you know, also uh, the, the rest of the cast as well. It's fascinating. You, you read an article that sort of gave you some background. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, was a part of the Assemblies of God for, for a while, and the Bakers were Assemblies of God ministers, though when you're in the Assemblies of God, there is a lot of leeway and there's not necessarily a lot of oversight at times just kind of depending on where you're at and how you operate and so you have ministers or churches that will act independently and so the bakers are sort of this this ag lore and he was of course defrocked when everything came down in in the late 80s so i i know the story and then i actually edited a piece by sd kelly at Christ and Pop Culture, titled Crying in Public, The Cost of Gawking at Tanya and Tammy Faye. And I very much appreciated her work in that piece because she talks about uh, Tanya Harding and the film I, Tanya, and then she talks about the documentary that this movie uh, is based on of the same name, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And it really kind of pushed me to reconsider Tammy Faye's part in all of this. And so as I watch this film with Jessica Chastain, I'm not necessarily surprised that it lands on the side of Tammy Faye like the documentary. Uh, This is a film that's mostly sympathetic to her and her character. And As we go through this discussion, we can kind of dig into that. In terms of overall thoughts, you know, I'm not really a fan of the film, Kevin. And I think there's a couple of different reasons why. Uh, Thematically, I I don't know if it says anything new. I, I really don't walk away with a deeper exploration of the ideas, the motivations in this story of a faith, of prosperity. It's just not really there. And so what we're forced to do is sort of rely on the story. I don't think the story is well told. I think it kind of jumps around and hops around a bit. And so overall, love Jessica Chastain, and I think her performance is the best part of this movie, 
but um, was was left kind of disappointed, Kevin. Yeah, well, you're you're definitely right that there are some some frustrating storytelling choices, I guess, in this film. There's so much uh, ground that's covered in the life of the Bakers, uh, pretty much through montage, and unfortunately, it's those portions of their lives that are that are elided through these montages where you kind of feel like that's where the meat of the story is you know at what point did they go from being kind of these these hard scrabble uh itinerant preachers with a traveling puppet show to kind of living in these palatial mansions and you know at, at what point did their did their ministry go from being uh, a ministry to being a business, and there it does seem, at least in in this film's telling, that there is a a transition that happens at some point. At the beginning of the film, when we see Jim and Tammy Faye, they they first meet, they first kind of like s- strike out on their own. They're really portrayed as true believers. They're not uh, cynics. Uh, you know, Tammy Faye obviously is, um, especially if you kind of dig deep into the saga. She's uh, usually um, understood to be uh, pretty genuine and sincere throughout their their years together, even after you know uh, Baker started to uh, really misappropriate funds and kind of really go into his downward spiral. But even uh, Jim Baker himself, as played by Andrew Garfield, is at the beginning portrayed as as a true believer, somebody who sincerely wants to do good, who maybe has some questionable theology, but kind of more or less has his heart in the right place, even though he's obviously very ambitious as well. And then at some point, there's a montage and we see their meteoric rise kind of communicated to the audience through kind of a cliche of, you know, all these newspaper headlines kind of spinning up towards the screen. And um, and, and after that montage happens, we're kind of in a different phase of their lives where they're very well off and they, they're more, much more successful. And it seems like something has changed in in at least Jim, if not Tammy Faye's heart. And it does feel like Showalter and uh, his editors, um, Mary Jo Markey and Andrew Weisblum, are kind of, there's something left on the cutting room floor that is really instrumental to this story, or at least is the most interesting part of this story. And it's just a shame that we never get to see that. Yes, because you have a montage. And... It is cliche, but it's a fun montage, and Tammy Faye is is singing throughout it. But these individuals go from being somewhat sincere, like you mentioned, and immediately they have a huge empire, and we already get the sense that Jim is participating in a number of illegal activities, or he's yeah he's he's moving funds around. What caused him to to do this? And I want to I, I want to see more of that. I like Andrew Garfield. He is not given a very good script here. As a result, there's there's really nothing to explore about his character. And when we leave the film, we're not really sure if this was. <sighs> just kind of a, a whirlwind accident and he got caught up in just a bad scheme if he's truly repentant. 
And it's not because the film wants to be a bit ambiguous. It's because the film doesn't even really want to explore that in his life. And I know this is Tammy Faye's story, but she's also being swept along in that current too. And his character, of course, is going to boost the, the overall quality of the film. As for Tammy Faye, I, I, I want to see, see more of where this love for the outcast comes from. I want to see more of why she continues to stick with Jim. I want to see a little bit more of that, that inward nature, and, um, and we don't get that. And, and then I think, too, Kevin, I, I'm really kind of parsing my thoughts in terms of how these individuals and how this story is depicted and and the POV for it. So obviously this is this is from the perspective of Tammy Faye. And these characters to me even though they are outlandish individuals, they're based on these outlandish individuals, the characters on screen they don't ever feel real. And it for someone like me who did grow up watching televangelists and someone who grew up in the Pentecostal tradition, this feels like someone who was on the outside who has a cliche sort of understanding of this. And I'm not like absolving these individuals. I'm not a fan at all of the Bakers and what they did. But it it doesn't feel like a real story. It doesn't feel like these are real individuals. It's someone who says, oh, this would be fun to make a movie about those crazy televangelists. And and we do get uh, some humanizing with Tammy Faye. Uh, at the same time, it just, I don't think it's it's enough. Now, the, the opposite or the other side could say, well, we're watching this from Tammy Faye's perspective and it's kind of glossed over and et cetera. I just don't know that it, that it works. It, it just doesn't, it just doesn't feel right. And maybe it's because I've been in services like this, or I've seen stuff like this firsthand. It just, it feels like it's based on, uh, it, it's based on a cliche and these individuals just, they just don't quite understand or they don't quite get that scene. And so that kind of rubbed me the wrong way too. I was just like, okay, that, that's not really how these people talk. Maybe it's how these people talk on camera, but but not all the time. Uh, and so, yeah, that was that was one of the issues I had with the film. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, I'd, I'd be interested to hear you talk about that more in detail. I do think that there, there's a shallowness to the portrayals here. And I don't think it's necessarily that Showalter is doing a full-on caricature of of these individuals and this mode of Christian spirituality. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like he is like this, or at least to me, it didn't feel like this was a, a, a gawking sideshow where we're just sort of like meant to look at all these, you know, crazy fundamentalists and their, you know, the, the, the ecstasies that they go into during religious services or the, the Christianese that they speak like that, that doesn't feel quite like what, Showalter is doing here. I think the the problem as I see it is is more that Showalter just doesn't seem very interested in drawing out what the experience of spirituality feels like. Whether or not you know you're you're putting on a show 
or you're genuinely feeling something, the experience of you know being in a, a, a very passionate religious service or uh, being working together with lots of other Christians towards a common goal, like there's a very specific feeling to that. And it's not so much that it's caricatured, I think, as it is just the film isn't so much interested in portraying that at all. Now, I, I do think that there's one exception that kind of hints at maybe what this movie could have been. And I think it's in the scenes where Showalter depicts Tammy Faye Baker uh, praying by herself all, all alone. And uh, so she kind of, you know, she folds her hands and she speaks out loud, you know, addresses the Lord uh, directly and, uh, you know, speaks out loud for a little while. And then what Showalter does is he goes from Jessica Chastain speaking on camera to voiceover uh, where the, the prayer continues or the, the dialogue continues uh, still in Jessica Chastain's voice, but it's all in voiceover. And that seems like an interesting way to depict how, um, at least the, the way Showalter sees uh, prayer, it's sort of a, it's, it's a conversation in the sense that, you know, it's not just Jessica Chastain monologuing to an empty room. There's some sort of shift there where uh, she's in dialogue with something, but it's all in her voice. And I think that is that is kind of an interesting way of portraying prayer, especially for uh, somebody who maybe eventually uh, loses their way in spirituality and forgets that they are addressing somebody outside of themselves, somebody who doesn't necessarily speak with our own voice and tells us just what we want to hear and, and wants to give us exactly uh, what we ask for at any given moment. Uh, I mean, there's some truth to that. I just wish that kind of interesting use of of cinematic language was employed elsewhere in the film to kind of portray the complexities of the spiritual experience, if not how most Christians experience, at least how this specific Christian Tammy Faye experienced it. And it's just, it's disappointing that it wasn't really, Showalter doesn't really do more with that uh, elsewhere in other scenes. Yeah, no that 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 is a that's a strong scene, and I, I think in terms of the depiction, it some of the dialogue just doesn't. Well, hey there, Tammy Faye. Oh, hey, it, it's just that's I I don't ever come across people who talk like that. Like even like maybe on screen, like maybe televangelist with the fake smile, but there's never I don't know. It just it didn't seem genuine or authentic uh to to me and i i think i think it is fascinating to watch her character who is very much uh, this outspoken woman who has the ability to lead the charge on her own and she's constantly told to like, no, you're like second fiddle or you are second chair. And so some of the themes were the theme that resonated with me the most was the idea of how ministry often sidelines women who are who are capable of leading. And I think we see that with Tammy Faye, or at least see parts of that. Now, 
was Tammy Faye capable capable of leading this entire network, or should she even? That's kind of a, another question. Um, I think that theme was was pretty strong. I also, I, I did want to see a little more though in terms of uh, the prosperity gospel. We hear talk about that. Uh, the theology, as you mentioned, is is off base at the beginning when they're at North Central, and I'd like to see how that that sort of motivates them and and moves them instead we get this sort of like one dimensional well it just all becomes about the money and they just want to be rich but how does their theology fuel that within them and then there were the, there was talk of the help that they did around the world and i'd love to see a deeper exploration of that because it 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 almost if they were using it as a shield to say, well, we we live this way, but we do so much, and there. So I, I see all these thematic elements, these ripe elements for the film to really kind of dig into and explore with these characters, and it's just, it's just not there. It just it doesn't happen, and then as a result, now I'm just focusing mostly on the story, and and the story to me um, just falls flat on an, in a number of different places. Yeah, I, I mean. And this is maybe where we get into what I mentioned right at the beginning, which is that it do, it does feel like there's some interesting elements to the story, but it doesn't seem as if it, I, I'm not sure if this is a, a screenplay issue, the the Abe Sylvia screenplay. Like, I'm not sure if it's just that's just kind of it was a little bit underbaked on the page or if Showalter just kind of doesn't quite succeed in uh, in, in presenting it in a way that brings out these thematic elements to the fore and kind of focuses on what needs to be focused on. Uh, but there are, there are just tantalizing hints of, of a really intriguing film. I, I really like, uh, the supporting role that Vincent D'Onofrio has in here as the Jerry, as Jerry Falwell senior and the, the subtle ways that, that the, the competitiveness between him and Baker is is brought out. You know, there there's one scene where they're in a, a, a studio and they're kind of talking about how many viewers each of their uh, television shows gets. And you know, uh, Falwell mentions he's got so many million, and then Baker kind of says, "Oh, praise God, that's so wonderful." <laughs> and then he, you can tell he's kind of slow rolling his own revelation that he's got like, uh, you know, ten times that many viewers on his show. And just the the interplay of that dynamic is really fun to watch, and and to me at least that did feel authentic. Just uh, having been around, uh, you know, church leaders where there is kind of that that sense of of competitiveness of your reach is what's the most important, and it's really easy to sort of cloak that in this. Oh, we're all just doing it for the kingdom of God, right? But deep downside, you can tell that there's a lot of personal investment in how big those audience numbers and congregations and donations are in the hearts of the, of the people leading these ministries. And I do think also that there's the, uh, so you, way you and I, we, we talk a lot about how the climactic standing ovation in biopic is so annoying. It just needs to, <laughs> to go away. And you know, there, this film kind of almost seems it, it it simultaneously falls into that trap while also subverting it a little bit. And I think that if it had uh, leaned more into this idea of 
Tammy Faye being a symbol of the the way that uh, American celebrity culture can can infect just about anything and how it can kind of lend this air of glitz and and spectacle to just about anything and how that that glitz and spectacle in a way becomes its own prison um that would have been really interesting to see played out over the course of the entire film as it is it, it does feel a little bit like it's kind of shoved into the coda to this movie and doesn't really get the attention that it ought which is maybe why that that climactic scene doesn't land with the oomph maybe that it should because it it does feel like this is basically a tragedy the the way that Tammy Faye was was brought into this kind of orbit and it ended up ruining her life and you know many and and just caused this huge scandal and yet there's a way that she clings to that kind of desiring to use her gifts for for God's glory um I, I don't know. I think that that's just something that's so compelling. It's just a, a shame that this film shows only flashes of that rather than really uh, delving deep into it. Yeah, I mean, if if you're going to go all in from Tammy Faye's POV, it needs to have more, at least certain elements of that final sequence. Uh, and we get some of that in the montage, but it it doesn't follow through in the rest of the picture. And what I would wanted to see too, Kevin, is you're talking about prison. I would have loved to see some more photography where their their glitzy homes and their fake television sets in turn would become claustrophobic. And to use that architecture, which the production design is there and the production design is good, but how can you harness that to visually tell this story? Because I think that you know, the sets of TBN, the sets of, of this network, those types of sets, uh, which are instantly recognizable with the fake gold and uh, all of that, uh, that is a great metaphor just in general for what this story I think is trying to, to tell. So so use that uh here. But yes, I, I think that I think Jessica Chastain is is really great and it it is hard to to not want to watch a film or even not enjoy a film where she's just given she's just given this type of role to act out. Uh, I think that it also says something about what S.D. Kelly mentioned in her piece, the way that we gawk at these individuals and the way that we create stories when, as you watch this, uh, hopefully it'll probably push you to reconsider uh, Tammy Faye, not necessarily turning her into a hero or saying that she was even right to go along with all of this, but hopefully understanding her as an individual and, and as a person. And um, I think the film at least attempts to do that and um, it gives us a sympathetic protagonist. Uh, I guess that's the best way to say it. And so I, that that's definitely something to commend. Yeah. Chastain is so good in this film. There's a scene in this film where uh, there's a business meeting going on in in 
the living room of of uh the baker's mansion and you know jim is pitching a, a potential investor on this uh, theme park idea that he has for you know that's bible themed and it, i think it's old jerusalem is what he's trying to to complete and there's going to be a water park there's all sorts of you know crazy stuff that he's trying to pitch and the investors obviously got cold feet and is about to pull out and uh tammy Faye's kind of hovering in the background and this is during the 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 part of her life where she's you know she's really struggling with addiction and you can tell that jim baker's really trying to kind of like shove her shove her off to the side and yet by the end of the scene she she comes in and she essentially what chastain does is amazing you see uh tammy Faye like knowing knowing the way that jim views her and kind of feeling that hurt but also bring coming to his rescue anyway with this with this investor and just the way that she kind of holds all these elements in tension where she is she's a little bit uh stoned on some some pills she is deeply hurt by the way she's being treated she uh is also turning on like very doing a very calculated turn on of her charm in order to win this investor back and there's a little bit of of desire to yes i kind of do think that this is something that could help bring people to the lord there's all of those elements and none of them are dominant but they're all there mixed together and just it's such an incredible balancing act and does like you were saying so much to humanize tammy faye and really bring all of the elements that make her her uh and and really bring her to life on screen in front of us and i think that even though the film isn't wholly successful i do think that chastain really just knocks it out of the park with this role and i i would i almost i I would probably watch this film again just to watch her again i think she's that Mm -hmm. good Mm -hmm. yeah no she is really great and you really see her just kind of carry just kind of i think carry the picture and um it's it definitely is uh, it's it's fun to watch someone who's good at their job, who's good, who's talented, and and we see that here. Listeners, that is our review, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. It's currently playing in theaters. If you have a chance to see it, we'd love to get your thoughts. This is a film that's definitely up the alley of seeing and believing. So let us know what you think. Tweet us at cbelievepod, at cbelievepod. You can also email us, seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you in part by HarperCollins Focus, publisher of some of your favorite audiobooks and authors like country music superstar Reba McIntyre, Zachary Levi, Joanna Gaines, Luke Russert, Willie Nelson, and so many more. In honor of June being Audiobook Appreciation Month, explore all these authors, current deals, new releases, and more at harpercollinsfocus.com slash audiobooks. Kevin, we are nearing the end of our show. At this point, we recommend something from the world of television and or film to our listeners. What would you like to recommend to our listeners this week? So I was I was thinking about, you know, what what biopics could I recommend? What, what movies about uh, real life uh, famous figures could I recommend this week? And, you know, there, there have been a few that I, I really like, but I think I've, <laughs> I've recommended them on past shows. So I was really kind of racking my brains like, what would be, there, there, 
good biopics are kind of thin on the ground, at least as, as far as I'm concerned. So I was really coming up empty. And then I remembered that there's a 1994 documentary about the underground cartoonist and artist Robert Crumb. Uh, it's directed by Terry Zweigoff. Its title is simply Crumb. Uh, this is, you know, Crumb is uh, famous for his work uh, kind of as a figure in the counterculture of the 60s and 70s. He created Fritz the Cat. Uh, he was famous for having this this long-running cartoon strip, Keep on Truckin'. Um, and he's a very strange individual, to, to put it mildly. He's got uh, some very strange preoccupations about about sex and about society and about himself. And they all work themselves out in various ways through his uh, through his art, which is simultaneously cartoonish and garish and very technically accomplished and sometimes a little bit uh, off-putting and disturbing as well. And so he's just he's just a fascinating, very complex, uh, weird character, I guess. And so this is just a documentary that kind of just follows him around and takes the audience into his subconscious so that we can kind of get a sense not just for how he created the art, but why he created his art. And I don't know, I think it's just if you if you know of Crumb or just kind of interested in figures like him, I think it's a really worthwhile documentary. Yeah, that that sounds uh, sounds fascinating and definitely works for uh, for the movie that we just talked about. No, that's a that's a that's a good recommendation. I'm, I'm going to go in a a different direction, and so I'm not actually going to recommend necessarily something from the world of television and or film, but it does relate to the eyes of Tammy Faye. In 2013, Kate Bowler published a fascinating book called blessed a history of the american prosperity gospel and she covers the bakers uh you get a good sense of their story but she also i mean really she begins uh centuries ago and looks at how the prosperity gospel came to become a a dominant theology in the united states and so if you're interested in that topic, maybe to dig into this a little bit more, Blessed is, uh, it's a its a very good book. I, I really enjoyed reading the history of a, of a movement that I, I knew about, uh, even experienced a little bit, um, but to see it from that vantage point. So no, I, I thought that was a, it was a pretty good book. So uh, Kate Bowler's Blessed. Oh, that's an interesting recommendation. I, I've, I've heard of Bowler's uh, work, but I haven't uh, heard of blessed specifically, so I might mm. have to track that down. That sounds like an interesting, uh, an interesting topic. Yeah, no, no, it's it's very good. She kind of operates in in that vein. She's got some other works. I think I believe she does a podcast too. All of her stuff that I've read, a couple books now, uh, is is pretty good. Kevin, we've we've reached the end of the show, and you mentioned earlier that we have uh, an announcement. It's kind of a weird. And a thing to to talk about, I, I've been kind of going through in my mind how exactly to say this because it is uh, it's not necessarily easy. But we've been doing this podcast, Kevin, for about six and a half years. My my son, my oldest son, is eight, and we began doing this podcast when he was one. I mean, it's just wild. Episode three hundred and five, and. Just doing, I've been doing a lot of thinking, uh, also 
not to overly spiritualize, but but doing some praying and uh, life has just kind of changed recently uh, for me. Uh, the the two businesses that I that I um, helped to found uh, it's getting getting bigger. I mean, we've got oh, man over a dozen people that are working for us, and and that's been growing. And then Priscilla is due with our third child, third boy at the end of October. I have a, a, a second book that, that's going to be coming out here soon, just finishing up some of the final edits on it and just kind of thinking through what what are some things that I'd like to do? What are some next steps? And so after all of that, just kind of thinking about it, talking to Priscilla and everything, uh, I've decided that I'm actually going to have to step down. Uh, I feel like it's the right time to step down from, from seeing and believing. And we'll talk more about this in... Uh, in the next couple of weeks, this is not my last episode. I actually have, we'll have two more episodes left. So my final episode will be at the beginning of October. But uh, yeah, this is, like I said, really hard, difficult decision because I, I enjoy doing the podcast. I enjoy reviewing films, uh, but I just love talking to you every week, Kevin. So uh, kind of a weird thing. Listeners, I'll be around for, for a couple of weeks. And then uh, Kevin, I... Don't have any doubts about the future of seeing and believing. I know that uh, you're going to do a good job as you kind of move forward with the podcast and and hopefully even take it to to new places. And so I'm excited about seeing where it goes and exciting excited too about just being a listener to seeing and believing. So that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be good. Yeah, you know, I'm excited to see where it goes myself. I <laughs> I have not quite figured that out yet. There's a lot of work still to be done, but I can say one thing for sure, and that's that it's going to be a very different show without you in in the co-host seat. I mean, six and a half years, it it does feel like, you know, we've we've forged our our own on-air dynamic, of course, but of course we've also forged a, a friendship. And it's just been it's been great uh, having you as a host and a friend over those six and a half years. It's going to be, it's going to be very different uh, hosting the show, uh, continuing it in whatever form it does continue uh, without you also on the air. So that is going to be a new journey for me. But we're really excited. I think you know I'm not the only one who's really excited. I, I'm sure that there are listeners who have gotten to know you over the course of that uh, of those years as well as I have almost and have, you know, are excited to see you kind of continue on with uh, these various projects that you have going forward and just the release of your book, the the birth of your third son. It's, it's all really uh, incredible and uh, something to look forward to with great anticipation. So obviously, like you said, we're going to be talking in more detail about, you know, what, this means for the future of the show, but also, you know, having a, a send off for you because we couldn't <laughs> let you go without having something uh, a little bit grander than just a simple review. So that listeners keep an eye out for that in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be really great. Even though we are going to wave our hankies farewell to you, Wade, you know, you will <laughs> always be here in our hearts. Hey, there you go. And, and I'm sure... Maybe every once in a while, I'll just I'll hop on Skype when I know you're recording and just try to merge into the call 
so I can uh, uh-huh. I can be a part of the episode it'll, again. <laughs> it'll be like those scenes in the Matrix where you know the agent takes over somebody's body and all of a sudden you know it's an agent there. I that's how I kind of imagine it going with these uh, these Skype calls where all of a sudden <laughs> my voice begins to change and all of a sudden it's Wade here mm. instead of Kevin. That yeah. would be. That would be, you know, maybe a little bit disconcerting at first, but I'm sure that listeners will get used to it eventually. <laughs> you, you'll be like, man, it, it only happens during the episodes where we review a Steven Spielberg film or a Christopher <laughs> Nolan film. It's like, wait. An MCU movie? Yeah. Oh, I don't, man, I don't know about that. Uh, that's like half <laughs> the episodes, right? Um, so, no, but thanks for the kind words. I'm, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm interested in, I'm excited about the, the show and the future of the show and, uh, trading one child, the podcast for another child. That's kind of how I, how I see it. Now, uh, <laughs> listeners, I, I'd love to, uh, these next two weeks, uh, as we hear from each other and, and talk through, we're, we're going to have, have fun as we close it out. We're actually going to be reviewing a, uh, a film for one of our Patreon requests. So kind of closing that out. And we're going to be talking about next week, Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia from 1999. I am so excited that out of the two episodes I have left, I get to talk about Magnolia. That just seems like a perfect film to discuss, Kevin, on Seeing and Believing. And we've just kind of, we've mentioned the film a little bit, Um, but that's going to be good. So listeners, catch that next week for now. Thank you for checking out this week's episode. It's brought to you by ChristandPopCulture.com. Our producer is Jonathan Clausen, who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. My co-host is Kevin McLenathan. And until next time, this is Seeing and Believing. We'll see you later. You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0.